Heavenly Father, we, we just praise you, Lord, for giving us another day that we can abide with you. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us for all the ways in which we fall short, but that you love us. We thank you so much because you love us and you loved us before we even knew you. You loved us before we were even born. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to, to, uh, to understand your word, understand your, uh, your revelations to us, and we thank you for our teacher, Bob. And we just ask that you bless this time. Give us each a spiritual blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to everybody. You see the text here? There's a long section of Acts, chapters 10 and most of 11, actually, that have to do with Peter being used by God to bring the gospel to God-fearing Gentiles. And this is a furtherance of God's purposes that are revealed in the Bible. And in our case, we're studying Luke-Acts. We know from Luke that God intended to save unexpected people. The thematic verse for Acts is Acts 1-8. You should be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. Now, we've already seen the gospel go to what they considered the end of the earth. And that was through the Ethiopian who was converted. And he went on his way with the gospel. But we saw the gospel go to Gentiles even in Luke. One of the more profound ones is in Luke 8. And that's where this guy who was demon-possessed was healed by Jesus, and he wanted to be a follower of Jesus. He believed, but Jesus said, no, go tell your people what great things God has done for you. So there was the gospel going to Gentiles by a guy who had just got delivered from demons. And we had the gospel going to Ethiopia by a guy who was converted. And now we have God arranging the situation. And if you read Acts 10 and 11, you will see how many supernatural things happened to make this come to pass. On both sides, both for Cornelius and Peter. Now the problem that's being solved here is not that God was going to save Gentiles. That's already been established. But this is going to create a more difficult situation because the Jews were not used to having table fellowship with Gentiles because they were unclean. So, okay, God can send a, save a Gentile, send him to Ethiopia... We're okay with that. But now he's going to say them right here, and I got to sit down and eat with them. And so Peter sees this vision of the unclean and is told by God to take and eat. And he said, no, 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 I would never do that. So this is a problem to be resolved. Now, a lot of Acts is committed to this. It doesn't really get settled 
until Acts 15 when they have a council. So let's look at verses 17 and 18. By the way, welcome. We had some missionaries, Dave Frost and his new bride. And uh, I've got to acknowledge... Here's, here's something you don't know about Dave. It's good. <laughs> He's the first one to show me, to create a PowerPoint for me. You remember that? <laughs> Way back, he was sitting in our living room, and I said, well, I need to learn how to do PowerPoint. I have no clue. So he sat down and created my first PowerPoint back well over 10 years ago. It was a good plant. I'm still using them. Okay, so now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. So Peter's having this vision at an unusual time. And, and he was hungry. Here comes this unclean food. And God was working elsewhere. Angels had actually visited this Cornelius and sent him to go with his, um, sent his servants to go find this Peter. So they show up. Now it says he was greatly perplexed. And one of the things that's kind of fun about Luke Acts is the brilliance by which Luke writes in the Greek language. And one of the things Luke does is that he uses repeated terms, some of which are not used in a lot of other places in the New Testament, to give an impression about what we're supposed to see. Now, this word perplexed, diapareo in the Greek, is used by only used by Luke, no other New Testament writer, but he uses it a number of different times. So let me distribute some verses. Eric, do you want to look up Luke 9, 7? All of these verses have this same word that Luke likes to use, and we'll see what he means by it. Over here, you got the mic? Why don't you look one up? That would be Luke 24, 4. And Craig, do you want to look one up? Acts 2.12. And Tim over here, Acts 5.24. Okay, Luke 9.7. It's Jesus before Herod. It says, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Right. So supernatural things are happening not that that's what had happened. It wasn't John the Baptist. But um, in Luke X, this word is used every time as a response to something supernatural that happens. And it causes people to be perplexed. What's going on here? So that's Luke 9, 7. Uh, Luke 24, 4. Uh, Luke 24, 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. Again, remember they were perplexed about the fact the tomb was empty. 
and then we have these angels, and God is at work. Okay, Acts 2.12. So this is in regard to the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Acts 2.12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? What does this mean? Again, something supernatural gets people's attention, and they're perplexed. This is just not what ordinary life usually brings our way, right? And then um, Acts 5, 24, Tim. Now, when the commander of the temple guard and the chief priests heard this report, they were greatly puzzled, perplexed concerning it, wondering what could this be? Yeah, remember, the, supernaturally, they were let out of jail. So God is furthering his purposes to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, and he's using supernatural means to do so. And all of this started with the Jews because the Messiah was promised to the Jews. He came, but he was rejected by his own people, at least the leadership. But God was intending to bring messianic salvation to the whole world. We know that that was his plan because it's prophesied in the Old Testament, but it wasn't commonly understood that way. So it had to happen supernaturally to get people to accept it. Verses 19 through 21 of Acts 10. Well, Peter was reflecting on the vision. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings. For I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the man and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? So, God had sent Gentiles to Peter. And notice how different ways it's expressed that God spoke to the apostles. Remember, after the resurrection... Jesus appeared to them and taught them bodily for many days. And now we've had angels show up. Now we have the Holy Spirit. I have a citation of Dr. Longenecker. He has a great commentary on Acts that I've been looking at amongst some of my other resources. And he says, a question naturally arises about the relationship of the angel of God that appeared to Cornelius, the voice that spoke to Peter, and the spirit who urges him to go with the messengers from Cornelius. But the question, though legitimate, is almost unanswerable, says Longenecker, because it is by the Holy Spirit that the ascended Christ manifests his presence to his own. Thus, it's both exegetically and experimentally difficult, if not impossible, to draw any sharp lines between an angel of God, the Holy Spirit, the ascended Christ. Okay, one way or another, God is speaking and God is acting. This is the same phenomena that appeared in 826, 829, 839. The angel of the Lord and the Spirit directed Philip with the Spirit of the Lord taking him away. And what will appear again, says Longenecker, 
in, in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit and the spirit of Jesus forbidding Paul. So God is at work supernaturally to bring about his purposes. Now, I know there's a unique and special situation during the times of the apostles. The scriptures were being written. The purposes of God were being established for the church once for all. But I think we need to make some applications as well. One thing I've learned after being a Christian since 1971 is this. God will get us to the right place at the right time. And if we listen to the word of God with the right message, God will get us to the right place at the right time with the right message. He does that through his providence. He does that in a lot of different ways. And I can tell you many, many stories about how God has gotten me to the right place at the right time. And I didn't even know what was going on. And he does this in spite of our weaknesses, our sicknesses or whatever battles that we have to fight in life. God's ordained that Christians go through the same difficulties that everybody else does. What's really different about us is our sins are forgiven. And we know God. And we have eternal life. And God will get you, dear saints, to the right place at the right time. You don't have to find some special technique. Uh, you just need to trust God. He'll do, he'll do the work. Now, there's a textual issue here. I don't even want to go into it. But I'll say this much. Some of the Greek manuscripts have the number three, three men. Some have the number two, two men. Some have no number. Now, if you really like studying those things, email me and I'll send you data. Otherwise, it doesn't matter to me. Men showed up. God's working. And see, most of these so-called textual problems aren't really even problems. Does it change the meaning? Misgivings, it's a participle form of diacrino, they have a double nuance. It can mean hesitation or making a distinction. Crino is to judge, dia is through, judge through. Two things are happening. He needs to not hesitate and he needs to not discriminate against people. I was looking up the word for discrimination. I think it comes up next week. And it means a receiver of face. The Greek word, prosopon's face. And there's a compound word with the lampano to receive. Receiver of face. And so to discriminate would mean somebody comes that's of a certain status and you go, oh yeah, great, great, great. But some kind of person that you don't like, oh, you haven't found out one thing yet about the person. But you're already deciding, I don't like them because what? In Iowa, they used to say, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. <laughs> Where I'm from. 
But then there were other people that weren't Dutch. There were Germans and whatever. So you might say, oh, it's a Hollander. I'm not going to listen to him. Or somebody who's not one of us. I'm not going to listen to that person. Or this kind of person. So in Peter's case, oh, it's a Gentile. But God is trying to tell him, don't discriminate. Don't be a respecter of persons. Don't be a receiver, pross upon face. Oh, I see your face. You're okay. No, you're not okay. Here's something I've learned also. We do not know who God is going to save. Is that correct? I thank God for our evangelists. And they go into a lot of places where you wouldn't normally want to go, but they go and share the gospel. Why? We don't know who God's going to save. And he wants his gospel to go to all people, whoever they are, wherever they are. We do not know. God saves unexpected persons. Nobody would have ever expected that God would have saved me because I was hostile to Christ. So you don't know. Now, verses 22 and 23 of Acts 10. They said, now these are the messengers that came from Cornelius. Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, man, well-spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely, divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Notice the description of Cornelius. This is like this. This description is here to show that this wasn't requiring a massive step by Peter. Because remember, he's already got this built-in lifetime of you don't eat with Gentiles. Okay? And so this description, righteous, God-fearing, well spoken of by the Jews, would be a favorable description of what the Jews would consider piety. Okay, this guy would be pious, somebody we'd be interested in. Now, that doesn't mean that's the only kind of person God will save, but he's using this case to further the gospel, to get Peter to actually do it. Go. Visions, angelic messengers, miracles, just to get him to go. Would you go? Be with this guy? Now, he's already getting over barriers. He's living, he'd been staying in Joppa with the tanner. And as we've shown, tanners are, were considered unclean. Even a Jewish tanner was unclean because of his business. Dirty, foul business. Dead animals using stinky processes to preserve skins. So the Jews considered tanners unclean. So he's already living with an unclean household, and now he's going to Gentiles. Why don't you, Eric, you right here, Luke 7, 6 and 7. And we want to see, for some reason, I don't know why, Luke portrays various centurions as godly people, or at least ones that had good attitudes. Go ahead. 
Luke 7, 6 through 7, it says, And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have come under your roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but you say the word and let my servant be healed. Notice the centurion realized that he'd be considered unclean. This is a different one back in Luke 7. He says, I'm not worthy to come under your wolf. He has a good attitude, but he knows it would create a problem and there'd be uncleanness. Now, I hope you understand unclean doesn't mean sinful. <clears throat> the problem was, according to Jewish law, once you had un uncleanness, you had to go through a rigorous process to get clean, right? Now, if you're Gentile, you're just unclean, unclean, unclean. It doesn't matter. But the Jew that came in contact with the Gentile in certain ways would become unclean. And then they had to go through this big process. One of our mistakes is we think that means sinful. It doesn't. You could be unclean because of normal life things like nocturnal emissions. You know, just read the Old Testament. Life makes you unclean. So pious Jews spent most of their time trying to get clean. And once they got there, trying to stay that way. <laughs> so here comes a Gentile. Ah, I'm unclean again. Now what am I going to do? And God is saying to Peter, don't even worry about this. God's going to use you. Things are going to change. Go ahead. I was just going to mention about being ceremonially unclean. Some of it seems unfair, you know, as we read it. You look at uncleanness because of eczema or because uh, people had dandruff would even make one unclean. But what's interesting is the book of Leviticus is concerned to show that God is other, that he is distinct from his creation. And this holiness makes a separation. So even though there isn't, like Bob is saying, technical sin involved, it shows how far short humanity is from this perfect God. And in a sense, when someone has eczema, it's something of decay. And therefore, it's false advertising for a God who only gives life. And therefore, those who had eczema, those who had uh, leprosy, even though it's not sin, they can't be in the presence of a life-giving God who was distinct from this creation undergoing decay because, in a sense, it's false advertising for him. So even though it's not fair in our eyes, that's what points people towards Messiah because in Messiah, decay has gotten rid of. Resurrection the whole person. The whole person is going to be made clean. As you often say, Bob, from the inside out. God cleanses us from the inside out because even our mind and conscience is defiled. Hallelujah. But there was another purpose. These laws made it impossible for the Jews to be absorbed into the rest of the world. It forced them to be separate. They had no choice. And that, that was so that Messiah would come according to the promise of God, according to the promise of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the prophets, Isaiah. There had to be an Israel that was still of that lineage where Messiah would come. And that's what happened. When I think of unclean, I remember when I learned Greek, the, my teacher, this was in the early 70s, 
the leper had to actually shout out because somebody might accidentally come and get close to him. And the word in the Greek for unclean is akathartos. So can you imagine spending your life walking around akathartos, 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 and everybody goes running? That would not be, nowadays they'd have to go to counseling to get cured of that. (laughs) But uh, that would not be a pleasant way to live your life, going around yelling out unclean everywhere you went. And so can you imagine the good news? Jesus comes and sheds his blood to make us clean. Whoever we were, however bad our life was, However, whatever happened, where you, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter your lineage. Jesus came to make those who believe the gospel clean. I love Hebrews. As we keep, you're, you've been talking about that too. Cleanse from the inside out. So that's what's happened. So there was another centurion who was unworthy. But God goes and saves unworthy sinners. Chapter 10, 24 to 26. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up. I too am just a man. I'm just a man. Worshipped in the Greek here, proskuneo. It's a compound word. Kuneo means to kiss. Pros means toward. And it could be used in a non-technical way. Um, And you can read some interesting stuff in the literature about the Greek, depending on who it was. They'd be greeted with a kiss or certain, there was a certain protocol depending on the status of the person you greet. So this could mean to give a greeting, but here it meant worship. Okay, now we see this sort of thing happening elsewhere. The same thing happens in Acts. Why don't I have somebody read that? Eric over there, uh, I'll have you find a reader. The text is Acts 14, 11 through 15. You can do it yourself or find one. Go ahead and just do it. Yeah, I think I got it here. Okay. <laughs> Acts 14, oh, oh, just a minute. <laughs> Acts 14, 11 to 15. Okay, 14, uh, 11 through 15, okay. Yes. Um, when the crowd saw that what, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, They raised their voice, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you 
that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Turn from... <laughs> Excuse me. Turn from these vain things. So this proskuneo meant to bow down, to do homage, reverence, or worship. The Greeks believed that on occasion the gods came down and did visitation. So they erroneously thought that that's what was happening. Oh, it's our gods, they came down. But no, it was apostles, and an apostle and an associate who were preaching the gospel. So Peter would not receive this. He said, I too am just a man. Peter earlier, uh, oh, I love, I can't tell you how much I love Luke Acts. I keep saying that, don't I? I, It just all makes some more sense. I've been studying it for years and years. I just love it. It's all tied together. And the more you spend your life studying the Bible, the better it gets, the better you understand. Earlier in, in, I believe, Luke, where was the great catch of fish? (laughs) All right, what is it? Yeah, it's uh, Luke 5. Just read the section where he realizes it's Jesus. Okay, sounds good. It says... um, What verse? This would be Luke 5, verse 5. And it says, and Simon answered... I'm sorry, that's not where he recognizes him. Here is where he recognizes him as Lord. Verse 8, he says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Once... Remember here, Peter said, I'm just a man like you. When Peter realized that it was the Lord in the boat, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. There's an echo. Where's the echo from? Isaiah 6. You got it. I can see that gleam in his eye. He knew it was Isaiah 6. I got the original astute reading award for that one in class at seminary. Remember Isaiah saw the Lord when he said, well, I'm a sinner. I've got unclean lips. I can't be in the Lord's presence. The miracle of the gospel is that you and I can be in God's presence and not die. And that we are clean from head to foot. Unless he clean, cleanses us, we have no part. But he has. Let's go on here. I still want to get into another little discussion. I don't know if I can. Let's do this, and then I want to talk about what I mentioned in my sermon about common grace. Acts 10, 27 and 29. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me they should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason you have sent for me? So God showed Peter, don't call anybody unclean. So he goes. And they already had a crowd. A man of God is coming. We're ready for him. We want to hear what you have to say. And so 
The words, by the way, unholy or unclean are koinos, which means common, and akathartos I mentioned earlier. So he distinguishes between these. See, the Gentile by diet and lifestyle was unclean. So Peter claims that God has revealed to him that he's to refrain from calling any Jew common for associating with Gentiles, and Peter should refrain from calling them unclean. Neither one. Not common, not unclean. Human beings created in the image of God. Later, when Peter got up to speak, when they had a council to determine what to do with Gentiles in the church, Acts 15, 9, Peter said this, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Acts 15, 9. You want to jot that down. Acts 15, 9. What did God do for the Gentiles who believe the gospel? Cleansing their hearts by faith. Peter said that. God cleanses hearts. And oh, oh, we need that. We need that. So Peter learned that the lesson was more than food. And this is a key development in the book of Acts. 30 and 31. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. As I told you a few weeks ago, the angel was objectively, tangibly in his house. He went in, he went out, he was seen. This is not an apparition. Did you see what was in the news now? I just saw this. They're going to claim that these people who saw apparitions of Mary are now, you know, credited with doing miracles. Did you see that? The Catholic Church. Yeah, eight and nine years old. And they saw, quote, Mary. By the way, if you see a spirit named Mary, it's a demon. Thank you. Listen, Mary believed in Jesus Christ as her Savior. She called God her Savior early in Luke. When we go to heaven, when we die, that's where we go. We don't float around in the sky so people can see us. That's not the Mary of the Bible. So we got two people seeing demons and getting false words, and now they're credited with doing miracles. By the way, what's a saint? Anybody who's saved? Okay? You become a saint at conversion, you don't become one because some false religion says you're one. We just got a new article. It's up now. CICministry.org. The latest CIC is on this book called The Benedict Option. And I say, reject the Benedict Option. It's nothing but mysticism, 
Lectio Divina, contemplative prayer, no belief in Scripture alone. It's horrible, and people are promoting it as a Christian book. Dear saints, don't listen to Who's buying these books? It, it isn't right. Don't believe these things. The world is pagan. Who speaks for God? The Pope doesn't speak for God. God speaks for himself in the Bible. You want to know what God said? Here it is, the Bible, right here. Yes. You, you just took away my point, Bob. In I'm other words, sorry. Pe- people would I ra- promise I didn't know. But, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> people would rather read a popular book than read the Bible. And it's just so much human nature. And they, they will take God's word and they will, it, they will twist it. And, and this just, it's, it seems like it's what mankind does. If you look at the law that was given to the Jewish people so that they could remain separate. And, and there was, you know, it made sense. But yet I think, and, and this is, I was actually thinking of asking this as a question. I think the Jewish people, too, like all human beings, uh, took the, the law and then they made lots of additional ad- additions to it. If we've got a perfect law, let's make it even more perfecter. And, and I, I think they did that, didn't they? I, I don't know. That's a, really a question. Um, and then just like we do, we, we want to add or take away from God's word. God has spoken once for all. One of my favorite biblical words, hapax in the Greek, once for all, meaning once and never again. Don't listen to this stuff. The Book of Mormon isn't from God. Human tradition isn't from God. This book that people are buying, it says scripture plus tradition. But when you get all done with it, it's not scripture plus tradition. It's tradition alone. The Bible dies a thousand deaths. And you got your traditions. By your traditions, you've made the word of God of non-effect. And you've done many things like this. And it's still going on. I will never run out of things to do if I have my mind and my ability to type, I will keep writing. What does the Bible say? That's what we need to know. Well, I'm going to do one more slide here. I had more notes, but that's okay. It said his prayers ascended to God. It's a picture from the Old Testament, like incense being a type of prayer that ascends. God hears our prayers. And it doesn't matter how many times you repeat the same thing. It won't add to God hearing it. It doesn't matter how loud you shout. God knows all things. But we do have access to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, 16. God hears us. He answers prayer. And he will act on our behalf. Now, this is my last slide. I want to still at least open up the subject of comic grace. Acts 10, 32 to 33. Therefore, send a job and invite Simon. It's also called Peter. This is what had happened to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. I told you last time, I think he's by the sea because what he was doing created such a stench that he wanted to breeze from the sea to get the stink out of the house. I cleaned my fish out in the garage outside of the house. Okay, my wife still smells it when I walk in the house. Can you imagine having a house where you're, you're tanning animals? Oh, man. 
Don't do that in the house. It stinks. So he's by the sea. The tanner. So I sent for you, says the centurion, immediately. And you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. To hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. We want to hear this. I have an idea for a little article I need to write about welcoming the truth. Okay? It says in Thessalonians, they, they did not welcome the love of the truth so as to be saved. It says in Acts 17, using the same word, decomai, the Thessalonians welcomed. They were Bereans who welcomed the word of God. Let's think about this. When we hear the truth, and we know it's true because it's accurately taught right from Scripture, do we welcome it or do we get angry because it doesn't fit with our traditions? The answer to that question will determine what path we're on. If we follow the traditions of man, we're not welcoming the truth. Once we know what God said, we need to welcome it and live accordingly. Bob, you make a good point that all is emphatic. So in the Greek text, there's a term pas. Yeah. And, and Bob's pointing that out, that all means all of the words. They want to hear all the words from Peter. And, I, and when the passage that came to my mind is in 2 Timothy 3. Remember, the word of God is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correction, training, and righteousness of the man of God is equipped for every good work. This passage oh, and that really talked exactly the same term shows the sufficiency of Scripture and so many times, I know, Bob, we've talked about this as pastors. One of the frustrating things is you'll bring the, the Word of God to bear, and people will pick and choose. They don't want all the Scriptures. They just want some of it. This often happens with the doctrine of election. People will say, well, I like a lot of that Scripture, but I don't like that. We have to remind ourselves that here you have a Gentile who wanted to hear all of the Word of you God. You tell us we want to hear it. We want to hear it all. <laughs> they were convinced that Peter was sent by God, and he had the he right message. We'll see that he did. This is crucial. A love of the truth is one of the greatest gifts that you can have from God. Do you welcome it or do you say, get out of my house? We don't do it this way. By the way, human wisdom doesn't sanctify anybody. Okay? So much of a Christian education nowadays is focused on human wisdom. Somebody's been emailing me, he's writing a thing about these personality tests that they want to give people to cure them. Churches are using these things. You have to take this test, find out what kind of a person you are, and then when we get the results, we'll know what to do with you. Listen, God sanctifies us through his word by his means of grace. What kind of a personality do you have? We can't waste our church time and money trying to figure that out. Show up, serve God, and you'll find out what kind of gift you have. Just show up and work. Most everybody in the world does something that they are capable of doing. You don't need a test that was designed by Carl Jung the pagan just show up 
How do you know? How do I know what my gift is? Show up, serve God. It'll come right out. You'll gravitate to something God gifted you to do. That's how you do it. The Bible doesn't say anything more. Oh, time goes so fast. Common grace. Eric, I'll let you introduce the idea. What is, I mentioned it in my sermon last week, promise that we talk about it. Let me get, I'll introduce it and then have Eric talk. Listen, when we teach the doctrine of total depravity or total, that the whole human race is sinful and the whole person is sinful, we're not teaching that every person is as absolutely wicked and depraved as anybody could ever be. That is just patently not true. And God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. People that don't even know God can be kind and decent people. Cornelius was before he heard the gospel. It doesn't save you, but we're not teaching some extreme idea. Everybody in the world who's a sinner isn't Jeffrey Dahmer. Anybody here old enough remember who that was? He was really like the ultimate pervert. Didn't he make decor for houses off of body parts that people had cut up? That's pretty bad. Now, your average person working at McDonald's doesn't do that. Okay, add to us. Yeah, well said, Bob. So in theology, we distinguish between two types of grace. One is what we call effectual grace or saving grace. And that's the grace that God bestows upon his elect in order to save them. And the reason he has to do that is because in people's unregeneracy, they can't believe the gospel because they're predisposed against it. So saving grace is what effectually saves someone, God enabling them to believe the gospel. But there's another type of grace, and that's what Bob's alluding to, and that's called common grace. And common grace is bestowed upon every single person. One of the verses that Bob cited was the rain falls upon the just and the unjust, meaning that God cares and sends rain so that if you're an unbeliever, your crops may grow. And if you're a believer, your crops may grow. So God doesn't always distinguish in that way. And so this common grace is given, for example, in the form of government, where government restrains evil. And so we have, even if you're an unbeliever living in some faraway pagan land, you receive the benefit of God providentially caring for his creation by giving a government that restrains evil. And so that's just one yeah, form of Yeah, if they throw wicked people in jail, that's yeah. for everybody's benefit. Right, amen. So okay. that's what Bob's alluding to. And Romans 13 tells Christians to submit to civil authorities. Now, I found, actually, I, Adam's not here, but Adam Olean had a good reading. He emailed me. And let's all turn to it. I, it's in Genesis 8. And what he pointed out was that common grace started after the flood. Well, not that there wasn't any before, but God's covenant with Noah was extended to the whole human race, not just believers. The rainbow is for everybody. And I don't mean the rainbow religion. The promise that God's not going to wipe out the earth of the flood, that's what I mean. Genesis 8, 22. Look at this one. I'll read it. Genesis 8:22. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, 
cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. Let me make an application. Don't worry about global warming. <laughs> what does it say? Cold and heat. The other day I saw a news flash. It said all of life will be, uh, planet Earth will be uninhabitable within 100 years. Because all of a sudden now carbon dioxide is air pollution. I wrote a, a little article about that in our scholarly section. Carbon dioxide is a necessary component of Earth's atmosphere. If it were pollution, we would want it to be gone. If we were managed some way to get rid of carbon dioxide, all life would cease. All the plants in the world would die. So they've defined carbon dioxide as air pollution. That's a lie. And then they're saying, we're not even going to have a harvest. Everybody's going to die. Life is not going to be possible. Here's a newsflash. Genesis 8:22. Until God himself destroys the heavens and the earth and creates a new one, seed time and harvest will be here. Brian the gardener, good news. He put in his lettuce already. Even with a bat hip. Do you see how that's common? It doesn't require somebody to be a recipient of saving grace for there be to be seed time and harvest, for people to be living on earth, and it's a habitable earth. That promise was given to all of mankind through Noah in Genesis 8. So how could anybody deny the doctrine of common grace? But some people do. Don't you think that's a good verse on it? Seed time and harvest? Do you have to be a Christian for your lettuce to grow? No. You breathe the air. You enjoy the civil government that restrains. Now, Eric and I, we're premillennial, and we believe that the removal of the restraint will trigger Daniel's 70th week. Okay. So... Right now, until that happens, God's restraining evil. This isn't near as bad as it's going to be. And Eric has been teaching, you can comment on this, wouldn't you say the fact that those wicked angels that were active at the time of the flood, according to Peter and Jude, are locked up in the abyss? Isn't that part of common grace? Yeah, part of common grace is that God has restrained the demonic realm so they don't interact with humanity the way they will in Daniel's 70th week. That's what we see in Revelation chapter 9. They'll be let out. Yeah, and it's so going to get worse. It will. And Bob has pointed out, too, from the Deuteronomy 32, remember, God has given all of the nations to the host of heaven, to the sons of God, which is this angelic realm that runs over them. Now, that's even itself gracious because before, there, I think one could argue that there was direct communication and the demonic realm itself ran the nation. So now 
we have God giving government yeah, rather puts, than demonic realm. He puts human government between us. Exactly. It's itself a very gracious act. So what happens in the 70th week of Daniel is all of the governments that God graciously gives. What happened when Adolf Hitler got too big? Didn't all the nations pile on? Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, what happens when there's one government? Well, who's going to pile on the Antichrist? Well, there's no one. And so who comes? The King of Kings. Jesus has to do it. To destroy it at the end of Daniel's Yeah, the one world yes. order. Yes, this is so clear to me. I don't know why, but people don't see it. The fact is, God draws out the boundaries of the nations. Deuteronomy 32.8, and then again in Acts 17, Paul mentions it. Nations with boundaries is common grace. Politicians who say, we are the world, erase all the boundaries, are asking for Antichrist. We don't want civil government. We don't want the way God set up his universe. We want Antichrist. Now, they don't even believe there is an Antichrist, but that's what will happen. That doesn't mean we hate one another. We are just seeing that we don't. But the fact that there are civil governments over individual nations with boundaries is God's way of keeping evil from getting as bad as it was before the flood. The Tower builders wanted to reach into heaven. They wanted access to the world of the spirits. God said no, and he drew, he, he drew up the table of nations and drew the boundaries. Get a, wor a biblical worldview, Mike. Well, I just want to bring up the point, uh, um, common grace, that we, uh, make sure we don't confuse the fact that, you know, not every person. We're not, we're not all children of God just by birth. And I know you mentioned that, uh, was it last week in your, in yeah. your sermon or, or recently? So uh, we saw our president, when uh, there was the Syrian uh, gassing of the people, he, he, he did make mention, no, it's a terrible tragedy that innocent children were, were killed, but he made uh, mention that, you know, none of God's children should suffer such a terrible death and t terrible fate. You know, um, not trying to make a, a, a comment if infants are, are, are saved or not, but just to be clear that we are not all children of God by birth. Not in a saving way. Yeah, in yeah. a serving way. Only yeah, a very, right. very loose way of using the term. But you hear it so common. Everyone's all, you always hear this, you know, but they're a child of God, a child of God. But that's a great distinction, not in a saving way. Uh, yeah. So We're not born of God until we believe the gospel. Amen. A better way for him to have said that is to say these are people made in the image of God. Every single yeah, person is true. an image bearer of God and therefore deserves protection. Uh, Genesis 9, 6, if a man sheds a man's blood, so by man shall his blood be shed. That's the institution of government. Yeah, all so, people bear the image of God. Exactly, but we're not all children. In fact, we'll see today in Romans that the whole creation eagerly longs for the revealing of the sons of God and the implication of sons and daughters by faith. So Bob often says if you're born once, you're made in the image of God. But if you're born twice, you can be a son or daughter of God, and I like that distinction. Please close in prayer. Okay, amen. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it is sufficient. And, Lord, we thank you for our teacher, Bob. We pray for continued good health. And, uh, Lord, we, uh, we pray that we would learn from the words today, that we would treasure all of your truth. And, uh, Lord, we would learn this theology, and we would learn to be grateful for your salvific grace and also your common grace, that we'd be those who worship and serve you, the creator, rather than the creation. We also pray for our friends and loved ones who don't know you. We pray that you would 
go before us and give us opportunity to preach the gospel so that they too would see your kindness and how your kindness leads them to repentance. We pray this in your precious name. In Jesus' name, amen.